Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Esther, and I'll give you a minute, right? Like, it's going to take a minute. Esther is in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through the Old Testament. It's right before uh, Job, Psalms. Honestly, it's just easier to look in the front of your Bible, find the page, and turn to it, because it's a hard book to find. Not many chapters kind of buried over there. The book of Esther, chapter 4. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled One Matters. That was our theme of our 21 days of prayer this year. And today I've I've preached so far on one decision matters, one soul matters, uh, one prayer matters. And today I want to preach on this subject, one person matters out of Esther chapter four. So just find your place and we'll read there in in just a moment. I want to tell you about this guy I read about uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Rafael Antonio Lozano has spent $150,000 over the last 22 years on a mission to visit every Starbucks in the world. He started in 1997. In 1997, there were only 1,304 Starbucks in the entire world, so it sounded doable. Today, Raphael, who has since changed his name to simply Winter, not sure what's behind that, but uh, I'll call him Raphael for the sake of this discussion. He, Raphael, um, uh, today, there are over 30,000 Starbucks, company-owned Starbucks worldwide. When he started, there were 1,304. And on May 2019, he celebrated a milestone as Raphael visited, get this, his 15,000th Starbucks. He's halfway there. To date... As I preach this sermon, he is at 15,252. His favorite one is in uh, Japan, and I'm going to show off my Japanese skills here and tell you where it is because you won't know the difference, right? It's in Dazefu Ten Mangu Sando in Japan. I sounded like Tojo Yamamoto there, didn't I? The old wrestler. uh, he, that, that's his favorite one. That's a photo of his favorite one. He has visited now 15,252, including the one in Dalton and the one that closed down that was in Fort Oglethorpe. He's been to it. How did y'all let a Starbucks close down around here? I, I, I don't know. I wasn't here at the time, but 15,252. His record, his favorite Starbucks drink is just a blonde roast drip. And his record cups of coffee drank in a day is 29 cups. I know, I know, right? How do you survive 29 cups of coffee in a day? He drinks a cup at every Starbucks he goes to. You say, so his goal is before he dies to visit all 30,000 plus, but somewhere on the line, he's either going to need to live for eternity or have Starbucks quit opening stores worldwide. But Here's what he said when asked about it last year. Raphael said this, every time I reach a Starbucks, I feel like I've accomplished something 
when actually I've accomplished nothing. Every time I reach a Starbucks, I feel like I've accomplished something when actually I've accomplished nothing. And I think that's the fear that we all have as we grow older and even as we mature and as we get to the end of our lives, that when we get to the end of our lives, we will look back and we'll say what Raphael says about his current pursuit, and that is, I've accomplished nothing. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a businessman, a teenager, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, you, there is no guarantee that your name is going to be written down in immortality somewhere. So it begs the question, do we matter? It begs the question, does one person matter? Can one person make a difference? Or are we going to get to the end of our lives and be like Raphael and say, I've actually accomplished nothing? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you today, based on the Word of God, that your life does does matter. One person does matter. And it matters in more ways than you can possibly imagine that God can take you out of the ordinary mundane of life and do something extraordinary with you. That's exactly what it did to this lady. In all probability, a teenager in the book of Esther. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? If you didn't find it, it'll be up here on the screen and you can just open your Bible and pretend. All right, uh, uh, Esther chapter four, look at verse number 12. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. Thank you. You may be seated. So this story of Neville, uh, this story of Esther reads like a novel. The greatest spiritual lesson is that, is that God takes care of his people. And so it's, it's many chapters long, and, uh, by a, and, but let me, can I summarize all of the book of Esther in just a few bullet points? Let me tell you where we are so you know the characters of the story and you know what's going on. It'll make sense for the rest of the sermon. There's a king as a, as a, as a, Ahasuerus king, it's easier to call him what you called him in high school history class. He was Xerxes number one, X-E-R-X-E-S. If you remember studying that in high school history, he was world history. He was Xerxes one. He ruled Persia from about 485 to 465 BC. And he threw a grand party for his wife, the queen. Her name was Vashti. He threw this big elaborate party. And for multitude of reasons, Vashti refused to come to the party. So when Xerxes found out that Vashti, the queen, was not coming to the party, he dethroned Vashti and said, you're not queen anymore, and he banned her from his presence and immediately put out a search for a brand new queen. This took place about 479 BC. There was a young lady named Esther in the kingdom who was compelled to participate by her uncle Mordecai. Now, the reason by her uncle is both her parents had died. 
She'd been raised as an orphan by her uncle Mordecai. And so Mordecai, her uncle, asked Esther to apply for the job of being queen. She did, and she got it. And she became the queen in waiting. Now, you know Mordecai, he's the uncle. Esther is the queen in waiting. Xerxes is the king. Now, there's one more character you need to know for the, point, for the book of Esther, and that's a guy named Haman, because the whole book is centered around Haman, really. Haman was a loyal servant to Xerxes, but he was a little too prideful. And Haman demanded, he was also uh, evil, but he, he, uh, Haman demanded that his subjects worship him, not just Xerxes, but him. And so he demanded that they bow down in his presence. Well, Haman got in front of Mordecai, the uncle, and Mordecai would not bow. And it infuriated Haman. So Haman tricked Xerxes into signing a decree that basically eliminated the Jewish race. They were all going to be exterminated on a certain day. But here's the deal. Haman didn't know, and neither did Xerxes, that uh, Esther was a Jew. And so Mordecai said to Esther, You've got to go in front of the king and tell him you're a Jew and that you're going to be killed. And Esther said, well, we got a problem with that. You're not allowed to come before Xerxes unless you are summoned into the throne room, into his presence. You, you can't go in front of Xerxes. The penalty for going in front of Xerxes without being requested is death. And he's not called me in over a month. And so Mordecai said to Esther, two famous lines uh, we find in this passage. He said, listen, you have been put into the kingdom for such a time as this. You've been given your position for just this time. And listen, I want to tell you today, no matter where you are in life, God has placed you there for such a time as this. And so, Mord and so Esther said, okay, I'll do it. Fast three days and three nights, and if he kills me, he kills me if I perish I perish. So Esther went before Xerxes, laid out the whole plan. He did not kill her. He listened to her and he took out Haman. So the end of the story is that's a major summary and oversimplification. The end of the story was the Jews were spared. The Jews were elevated and all of their enemies were destroyed. And here's the point I want to make today. Here's the sermon. The amazing thing about the story is God didn't use a king, a general. God did not use a warrior. God did not use a prophet. God did not use a priest. God used a seemingly insignificant girl to make a difference. And that's good news for you and that's good news for me because sometimes we get the idea in the kingdom of God that we aren't big enough to make a difference. That get this, we aren't big enough to matter. And I want to tell you today, one person does matter. You matter. Let me make four statements I think from this story you need to hear. Number one is this, the place you are is not an accident. The place you are is not an accident. Esther found herself in an unlikely place, that is the palace. And when the king, when Queen Vashti rebelled against the king, he literally sent out a call for resumes to be queen. And, and Mordecai said, Esther, apply for the job of queen. And she said, hey, my resume is not good enough. It's just like a one-page resume. It's not that big a deal. He said, put it in anyway. Let's see what happens. And so she put in her resume and she got it. And in the blink of an eye, Esther went from a lowly orphan girl to living in the palace. And here's what I want you to know. That God took her place where she was put and made it a place of purpose. Now, now hear me well this morning. Look this way. H hang on what I'm about to say. I cannot tell you that God orchestrated her life to put her just there at that time. I can't tell you that. 
What I because the Bible doesn't say that, but what I can tell you is this, is that God took the person that was available to him in the place in which they were, and he made the place in which they were a place of purpose for them to do something great for the kingdom of God. And that's even better for me. Do you know why? I can't tell you that where you are in life, that God orchestrated your life to get you there. You may not have been that obedient in the past. You may have been through some periods of rebellion, and you may not be on the exact that course that God charted for you way back when. But I can tell you this, wherever you find your place today, wherever you may be, God has something for you to do right where you are. You say, but preacher, I don't I'm not in the palace. I, don't, I get all that. Neither was Esther. Esther was a lowly orphan girl and co- until God did something in her life. And I just want to tell you that here's how God often works. He will take when he needs something great done for his kingdom. God can take you right where you are in the ordinary activities of the ordinary day of your life and do something amazing with you. This past week, February 4th, most of the states celebrated Rosa Parks Day. That's a replica. That's the bus that Rosa Parks went on in December 1955, Montgomery, Alabama. Many of you know the story that a 42-year-old seamstress, after a long day of work, got on a segregated bus and she sat directly behind the white section into the African-American section and, and the bus began to fill up. And as the bus filled up, the bus driver came back to her and said, we're going to need you to give up your seat for a white man who needs your seat. And there on that day in the ordinary of life, Rosa Parks said, I'm not going to move. And she was arrested. She was tried on December 5th, 1955. She was fined $10 and $4 in court cost in order to go free. And so Ed Nixon, who's the former president of the NAACP Montgomery chapter, came to her and said, um, we want to use your case as a civil rights case uh, to strike down these laws. And because of Rosa Parks' uh, 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 acts like the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were put in the law in the United States and eventually spread all around the world. Now, here's the thing I want you to know about Rosa Parks, and that is this. Theologian Michael Horton said this about that day. He said, Rosa Parks didn't wake up one day and decide to become the first lady of civil rights. She just boarded a bus as she did every day for work and decided that this day she wasn't going to sit in the back as a proper black person was expected to do in the 1950s in Montgomery, Alabama. At that point, she wasn't even joining a movement. She was just the right person at the right place in time. The right person at the right place in time. Can I tell you this? That God can take you in the place you are, in the ordinary of your life and do something extraordinary with you, whether your place is at school, whether your place is a college campus, whether your place is at work or in your family, in your community, wherever it may be, God can take you right where you are. And when he needs a vessel for the kingdom of God, the place you are is no accident. And that's why you have to stay close to God. That's why you need to walk with Jesus because you never know when God could pluck you out of the place of the ordinary and do something extraordinary. The place you are is no accident. Number two, I want you to know this. The people around you are no accident. Let me tell you the cast of characters around Esther. Esther's parents had died and left her to Uncle Mordecai. 
Now she'd been put up in the king's palace. She had the favor of the king. The story tells us, I didn't even get into that, but the supervisor over her favored her and treated her kindly. And then she was surrounded by the Jewish nation who'd been suffering persecution. All of those are characters in their story, the people that are around her that were no accident. They all paid an important part in Esther's life and decisions. None of them were there by accident. She wasn't surrounded by them by accident. Each one of them had a divine role to play in God's play in her life. And here's what I want you to realize today, that the people around us, the people around you are no accident, that God has placed the people in your life there for a reason. The family you're in is no accident. The friends you have are no accident. The neighborhood you're in is no accident. The coworkers around you are no accident. Your boss that you don't like very much is no accident. And if you're the boss, the people that don't like you very much are no accident. The waitress you'll see this afternoon is no accident. I could go on and on and on, but you get the picture that we never know the difference we can make in someone. You know, every person in your life, God is placed there so that you can make a kingdom impact on them. And you can't be selective. You can't say, well, I like these and I don't like these. No, every person in your life, God has placed around so you can influence them for the kingdom of God. Listen, you may need to share Christ with them. It may be why they're in your life. You may need to invite them to church. That's why they're in your life. You may need to meet a need in their life. That's why God has them there. You need to pray for them and with them. It's why they're there. You may need to start a Bible study with them. You may need to comfort them. You may need to be kind to them. Can I break it down to the simplest common denominator? You may need to simply encourage them. Everybody in your life around you desperately needs encouragement and we live in a discouraging world. And if you'll simply encourage the people around you, it may be the reason God has them there. Researchers, Andrew Newberg and Mark Walden wrote an article called the most dangerous word in the world. And here's what they said. If we were to put you in an fMRI scanner that measures your brain activity and we flashed the word no, the word N-O for less than one second, here's what they said. We could measure your brain and here's what would happen. In less than a second, you'd see a sudden release of dozens of stress producing hormones and neurotransmitters. These chemicals immediately interrupt the normal functioning of your brain, impairing logic, reason, language processing, and communication. So if we, if we put you in an fMRI machine, flash a negative word in front of you for less than a second, your brain immediately releases all kinds of stress and they can measure it in the brain. However, and by the way, the, the, those, those hormones that are released, those chemicals that are released in your brain impair cognitive function. It just means makes you dumber is what happens, makes you dumber. But however, we put you in the fMRI machine and flash a positive word, like the word love, for less than a second. Immediately, all those areas of your brain are strengthened and it increases cognitive function. Layman's terms makes you smarter. Can I tell you this? We live in a discouraging world. We live in a negative world. And it may be that God has placed you in the center of all that negativity. Because I have people tell me all the time, preach the place I work is so hard. There's so many lost people around me. There's so many negative people around me. There's so, right. You may be the light in the darkness for those people. Because you say, who do I encourage? Everybody, 
because everybody needs encouragement. It's interesting when, when Abraham Lincoln was shot, you can go to the Smithsonian and they have everything that was in his pockets on the day he was shot is on display at the Smithsonian. His eyeglass cleaners, he had a pocket knife, various other things. In his, in his pocket, he was carrying eight different newspaper articles. And the one that looked the most worn was one that bragged on Lincoln and had this statement in it. Abe Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. The man who just won the Civil War, the man who just put the Union back together, needed, was carrying around encouragement in his pocket. And I'm going to tell you, if Lincoln needed it, so does everybody else around you need it. The people in your life are no accident. I'll show you the third thing we learned. I'm just going to hit this briefly. I'll be done in one minute with this one. Number three, the position you're in is no accident. That's what, that's what exactly Mordecai said to Esther. You've been given this royal position for such a time as this. This lowly Jewish orphan was queen in just a split second. She was having from no influence, having kingdom influence, and God gave her that position so she could be used for the kingdom. And I don't know what your position is today. I don't know what your title is. Your title may simply be mom or dad or friend or business owner, or it could just be Christian. I don't know. But you have influence on the people around you, and God has given you that position, as Mordecai said, for such a time as this. Don't wander through life. Go through life with faith and the purpose of the position God has given you. And then number four, and I'm finished. The possibilities before you are no accident. Esther was a lowly girl who had no possibilities. Her life was on track to maybe marry a good man and have a decent life. That's all women were allowed under Xerxes at the time. All, all of that changed when she became queen. When she became queen, Godly suddenly gave her a lifetime of possibilities. Power, influence, favor, and fortune were suddenly given to Esther. And they were all given her so she could use them for the glory of God. All of the possibilities that's given to the queen of the Persian Empire were given to her so that she could use them for the glory of God. And here's what I want you to know. Today, you need to hear me say this. Here's the whole sermon. Realize the possibilities that God has given you to make a difference in the world. You may not live in the palace, but the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Amen. And you have tremendous possibilities to make a difference in the lives of others and the lives of the world. And what you just have to do is open your eyes and look at the people the position and the place around you to realize. And I think so many times we miss what God has for us because we keep our eyes closed and we don't open our eyes and realize the possibilities that lie before us to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Went to Alaska this week, I told you, and Josh and I were there. And so the ladies were by themselves. And so they were keeping us updated on stuff. You, you, you go on four or five days and, and you miss a lot of Jackson's life. Some of you may not know, I'm a first time grandfather. I know, I know, I don't look near old enough to be a grandfather. I get it. Um, I, you know, I get that all the time uh, when I say it in front of the mirror every morning, I, I get it. But uh, I am, I'm a grandfather. I have, have, have one grandson, his name is Jackson. And uh, it's also Josh's son, but yeah, you know, I'm the grandfather. And, and they were sending us videos. They sent us this video. Some of you may have seen it on Facebook. Well, when I saw it, uh, uh, it was so cute. I said, that fits perfectly with my sermon or something like, I'm going to make that fit with my sermon. It's one of those two. I, I don't remember. But uh, no, no, it did. I said, hey, I want to show that in church if you'll let me on Sunday. And so I've broken this video down because I want you to see the progression of what I think Jackson's thinking is while he's 
while he's watching this video, while, while he's doing what he's doing. So let, let me narrate for you. When he learns to talk, it's going to be a bummer because we really know what he's thinking. But right now I'm making it up, right? All right. I'm going to break it down to four parts. Here's the first five seconds. This is what I call, I have discovered I have a hand face. He's never really noticed he has a hand before. He's not done anything with it. We've tried to put his pacifier in his hand and getting to put it in his mouth. And he has just been beating his forehead to death with it. He cannot, he, and hand-eye coordination. But it's like Monday he suddenly realized, well, look at that. Do all humans have one of these? I got one. I wonder what this thing can do. And so then I call this the testing it out phase. See, I mean, that's, right, you follow the logic, don't you? Look what I got. What can this thing do? Wham, 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 wham. And then here's my favorite phase. This is the realize the potential of this hand phase because you're going to see him go like he's Rocky Balboa. <laughs> he's going to bend it like, oh my word, look what this thing can do. Watch this. This is the realize the potential phase. Right? You get it, don't you? I, mean, I wish I could show that again. Hey, play that again because I want you to see it. Can y'all hit that one video again instead of me going forward in the sound room? Is it possible? You're going to see a mouse, but that's okay. If I hit it with two fingers, will it do it? No, no, no. Stop it. Stop it. Go back. Y'all do it. Y'all do it because it's worth seeing again. Go back. Is this? Here it is. See? Look at this. It's amazing. It's like he opened his eyes and realized the potential. And then the fourth phase, which is not really great, I call it the Chuck Norris uh, syndrome. And he realizes, look. And you notice he looked right at Sherry, like you are getting this on video, right? Like you are watching. I, I love it. When, when I saw him do that, he realized the possibilities of a hand. You can close your Bibles, I'm finished. I think some of us need to get a little childlike wonder about ourselves and look at our lives and realize that the possibilities are great if you'll walk with God and be available for him to use you out of the ordinary mundane of life. Because my greatest fear in life is that I'll miss an opportunity God's laid before me. In their book, World Christian Trends, David Barrett and Todd Johnson wrote about the greatest missed opportunity in Christian history. It was back in the 1200s and Genghis Khan's grandson was over the Mongol Empire. Basically, what we call China today. That's not exactly right, but let's just call it China. Genghis Khan's grandson ruled the, ruled the Mongol Empire. His name was Kublai Khan. And Kublai Khan uh, was a fairly interesting character. And through Europe and Asia went what was called, you learned about it in world history, it was called the Silk Road. It was kind of the first interstate. And trade went through Europe and all through Asia 
on that Silk Road. And one of the first people to make wealth because of that Silk Road was Marco Polo's father, the famous explorer. Marco Polo's father uh, did industry up and down the Silk Road. And one time when his father and Marco and his brother were traveling, they ran into the emissaries of Kublai Khan and they hit it off. And before long, they found themselves standing in the presence of the leader of the greatest nation in the world. Still today, based on size and population, the biggest nation in the world, China. And so they're in the presence of Kublai Khan and what they were shocked about was his insatiable curiosity for all things Western, especially religion. Here's what they quoted and said. He was interested about rumors he had heard, get this, about the man who died on a cross and who had done miraculous things. So before they separated, he gave a letter to Marco Polo's father to be carried back to the church in Europe. It was to be carried back to the Pope and here's what part of the letter said. Send me 100 men skilled in your religion. If they are convincing, I shall be baptized and then all my barons and great men and their subjects and so there will be more Christians here than there are in your parts. What an incredible evangelistic opportunity. Send me a hundred men, send me a hundred preachers and I'll turn them loose in China. (laughs) The Polos got back to Rome and they gave it to Pope Gregory the 10th and he didn't take it seriously. And he sent two friars on their way to China. And before they got halfway there, because of bad weather, they turned around and came back. It was decades later before any missionaries made it to Beijing, 1294. And when they got there, the country had already turned to and accepted accepted Tibetan Buddhism. Kublai Khan had died. You fast forward till this era, 55% of China is Buddhist. 36% of China claims no religion whatsoever. And in 1990, there was 0% Christianity in China. And because of the underground church today, it's estimated at approximately 2%. And here was the ruler of Genghis Khan's grandson who threw his country open to the gospel. And they absolutely missed the possibility. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I can't tell you today that God is going to throw open a nation for you to win to Christ. I can tell you that there are possibilities if you'll open your eyes and see them. Don't live your life with God dropping people and places and positions in your path and never utilizing them for the kingdom of God. Listen to me, every person matters. One person matters. You matter. If you're here today and you don't know Christ is your savior, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're not here by accident today. God has orchestrated your life to bring you here today. And today's the day you need to trust Christ as the Lord and savior of your life. 
And this morning during this service, you felt your heart beating out of your chest and you're worried about life and eternity. We call that conviction in, the, in church and that's God signaling to your heart that you need to be saved today. And if that's you today, while our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you can pray with me right where you are. God sent you here so you could hear this. You can be saved as simply as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner, can't save yourself. B, believe Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again the third day, and C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I want to help you do that just now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, whether you're at Rossville or Rock Springs, wherever you are, here, here, here it is. Bow our heads. And if you'd like to trust Christ today, pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. But pray a prayer something like this. Not the words that save you, but the intent is to trust Christ. Pray this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and can't save myself. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day. And just now I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sin, and to give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you are born again, saved, we call it. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna sing in just a moment, Josh Will, and I'm gonna invite you to slip out, take one of our pastors who's down at the front by the hand and just tell them the decision you made. If it's coming down to the front, we're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna put a microphone in your face, any of that. But if coming to the front scares you to death, that connection card you have, there's a box for you to check. I prayed to receive Christ and just check that box and we'll send you some information in the mail this week about the next steps to take in the Christian life. You could be here today and you want to join our church, come tell one of our pastors that. You want to be baptized, come tell one of our pastors that. Or maybe you have some questions about becoming a Christian. Our pastors are here and willing to answer those questions. When we sing, just say excuse me to the person to your right or your left and, and walk down to the front. They'll be glad to let you out. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder how many Christians though this morning. I wonder how many Christians need to find the way to the altar and say, God, help me open my eyes at my school. God, help me open my eyes at my job. Help me open my eyes in the place and the people around me. Help me to see the possibilities for the kingdom. Lord, help me encourage somebody. Help me to get my eyes off myself and on others. Sometimes we're not realizing our possibilities because our eyes are not open. This morning, just like Jack saw that hand, you need to say, you know what? God's got things for me to do. Lord, open my eyes for me to see. Some of you find yourself in a really bad situation on your job, in your family, wherever it may be. Maybe is he there for a reason. And maybe instead of complaining, maybe is a time to come to the altar and just say, Lord, show me the possibilities. Father, I pray this morning you draw us with your spirit as you've spoken to us through your word in Jesus' name. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.